1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Call it the streaming smackdown. Netflix shares destroyed as hundreds of thousands leave the service. Where did it go wrong? Wall Street's rate shock in full swing as the 10-year yield does something for the first time since 2018. After nearly a month, lockdown lifted in one of the world's biggest cities. A look at what's ahead for China and Shanghai. Your morning RBI on one CEO you've probably never heard of who could have an $800 million payday. Later, a big fight brewing at the Magic Kingdom. Why, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has a bone to pick with Disney and its special tax treatment. It's Wednesday, April 20th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Appreciate you being along for the ride. Let's get right now to your Wednesday markets. And they are sadly not following through on Tuesday's nice pop. Futures right now, they are down across the board. Not a whole lot. Dow futures off just a tick. NASDAQ futures, as always, now more the ones to watch than Dow. They're off about three-tenths of one percent. Now, all this coming off a nice little pop for stocks on Tuesday. We were higher all morning, but buyers really began barging in around 2 p.m., and they shoved the markets higher. Small caps, mid caps, big cap tech, all ending today up more than 2%. That does not look to follow through, at least not right now, but it is early. Now stocks up as bonds keep falling and borrowing costs keep rising. A 10-year yield creeping back toward 3%, now over 2.9. Get those 3% yield hats ready, because it looks like certainly it is coming. Well, oil took a hit on Tuesday, down about 5% in U.S. trading, but that is reversing a little bit this morning. Oil is slightly higher, some growing concerns over oil demand going forward. It's seemingly everybody starts to pull down their estimates for European and growth here in the United States. And in crypto, both Ether and Bitcoin are slightly lower as well, again, after rising with almost all the markets yesterday. We'll get more into all of this in moments, but first... Let's see how things looking overseas, because while stocks certainly get all the attention, a big move in bonds in Europe has been an even bigger one than we have seen here, with key yields of the U.K. and Germany shooting to seven-year highs. Let's get more now on that and your morning trade with Rosanna Lockwood in London. Good morning, Rosanna.
2: Good morning, Brian. Yeah, let's start with these European markets, then slightly greener today after we close down Quite heavily in the red on, on Tuesday. FTSE 100 just three tenths higher. Rio Tinto, that dual-listed miner, maybe dragging on this slightly. Iron ore shipments for that company is an issue. Cacahont though in Paris. Look at that, up almost a percent today. French presidential election race ongoing, and consumer space very strong. I'll come back to that, but let's take a look at those yields you wanted to look at: the Bund and the gilt. Because I take your 2018 record, I raise you 2015 because the 10-year up at 0.876 in Tuesday. Session hit highs not seen since 2015. You're going to have to have your 1% hat for that. Meantime, the 10-year guilt here in the UK, I want you to get your 2% hat ready because it's at 1.929. Again, highs not seen since 2015, late in Tuesday's trade. But I did promise you uh, some earnings as well because consumers, uh, banks as well, some interesting stories here in Europe. Credit Suisse, let's start there. The bank has warned of a first quarter loss due to higher provisioning. It's unveiled increased litigation costs totaling around 700 million Swiss francs for the quarter, down 1.5%. But these consumers, look at this Danone, that is what is propping up the cat cajon today. It's posted a 7.1% increase in first quarter sales, boosted by strong demand for baby formula, dairy products and water and just eat takeaway. It's lowered its full-year growth expectations after reporting a 1% decline in orders in the first quarter, given we're at that pandemic-led boom. But Europe's largest meal delivery company, this is. It has added it is exploring a potential sale of its US unit Grubhub, which it bought for $7.3 billion just last year, up almost or just over 4%. Back to you, Brian.
1: Well, one of my predictions, Rosanna, was for a baby boom in the United States this year. Based on those baby formula sales, maybe we'll get one in Europe. Yogurt and baby formula helping the markets. Rosanna, thank you very much. All right, let's get now to this morning's top story, and that is shares of Netflix. They are tanking right now, down more than 20%. Users flooding away from the platform last quarter. Let's get more details on exactly what happened and what's going on right now with Savannah? now, Netflix, just an ugly quarter for, net, uh, for Netflix, Savannah
3: Yeah, that's right, Brian. So shares, as you mentioned, tanking in the pre-market after the company says it lost some 200,000 subscribers in the first three months of this year. Its first quarterly subscriber loss since 2011 when it shed more than 800,000 users in a single quarter. The 200,000 number is far worse than, than its own forecast some three months ago of a 2.5 million gain in net paid subscribers for the first quarter and far below street estimates calling for 2.7 million ads. Even more alarming, the streaming giant is forecasting an even bigger sub loss for the current quarter, around 2 million, and compared that with Wall Street's consensus estimate of 2.6 million ads in the second quarter, and not a single estimate calling for a contraction. This is now the seventh time in eight quarters that Netflix's subscriber growth forecast has missed the streets' expectations. Netflix is partially blaming its Q1 user loss on the suspension of its streaming service in Russia that resulted in a loss of 700,000 paid subscribers. Aside from its subscriber slowdown, Netflix also weighing in on account sharing. In a letter to shareholders saying combined with new competition from Disney and others, password sharing is creating revenue growth headwinds. Here's co-CEO Reed Hastings last night.
4: Working on uh, how to monetize sharing, um, you know, we've been
1: uh, thinking about that for a couple of years. Um, but, you know, when we were growing fast, it wasn't the high priority to uh, work on. And now we're working super hard on it. And, you know, remember, these are over 100 million households that already are choosing to view Netflix. They love the service. Uh, we just got to get paid, you know, at some degree for them.
3: Another key takeaway are comments from Hastings on the possibility of offering lower price memberships with ads. And that's something he's been opposed to in the past.
1: Allowing consumers who would like to have a lower price and are advertising tolerant um, get what they want makes a lot of sense. So that's something we're looking at now. We're trying to figure out over the next year or two. Um, But think of us as quite open to offering uh, even lower prices with advertising as a a consumer choice.
3: On the heels of last night's report, Netflix is set to lose about a quarter of its market value or $38 billion market cap loss at the open. Its overall market cap is now sitting around $117 billion, Last November, it was closer to $300 billion. Ripple effects across the streaming sector as well. Disney and Roku both down in the pre-market, Brian.
1: i tell you, with some of the reports out there about CNN Plus and with this as well, streaming, which is considered the future of right. our industry, Silvana, you wonder there's going to be a lot of bigger, maybe bigger questions around how to make the numbers work. Exactly. Netflix I, wiping out three years,
3: absolutely. three and years I mean, of gains so in, in a matter of So many people have countless streaming services, and with everything that's going on, people are prob- maybe looking to cut back, so I think so, lots to keep an eye on.
1: I'm going to steal this comment. It's not mine, but maybe somebody said maybe they should bundle all the streaming services together and call it cable television. <laughs> Silvana, thank you very much.
3: Thanks, Brian.
1: Not mine. I don't know who said it, but it's not mine. Silvana, we'll see in a minute. All right. All right, well, Netflix, kind of emblematic of the overall markets right now. You've got a lot of optimism around both a few months ago. Now, neither can get any love anywhere. All this is the macro markets keep falling and the 10-year yield creeping back toward 3%. And your next guest says he's worried about the divergence between the stock and the bond market. Matt Maley is the chief market strategist at Miller Tabak. His notes are a must read. He is a must listen and a must watch, which is why we asked you to get up so nice and early this morning, Matt. But we do certainly appreciate it, my friend. Uh, This is the first time since 1994. You were about two years old. I was 20 something where the equity market and government bonds are both down at this point in the year, what do you make of it well i 'm really worried about this diversion. I mean, as you say, the government bond market is
5: is is way down, and the price is down, of course, the yield is up and, and pushing on three percent as you mentioned uh, but there 's also other markets i mean you look at the uh, lqd, which is the uh, the um, um, investment grade uh, corporate bond index, high yield it's, yep. really low its March lows uh, and the same thing with the high yield market in particular uh, you know we see that uh, you know uh, uh, testing its march lows and in credit spreads widening out to their widest levels since March and yet the stock market is nowhere near its its March lows and when you get that kind of divergence uh, you know as we've all heard many many times the bond market when there's a divergence the bond market's the one is usually right and uh, at some point I think the, the stock market's going to have to come down a little bit.
1: Well, you know, usually stocks fall, bonds go up. People get nervous. They sell stocks. Maybe they put money in government bonds. They don't like the returns, but they're just kind of parking cash. I guess my question now is, Matt, with government bonds down, corporate bonds down, high yield bonds down, and stock markets mostly outside of energy and a few others down, where's the money going?
5: Well, one of the things that people (laughs) that – We we always hear, and we hear some people saying that, hey, geez, you know, this bond market's going to fall further, and uh, that's actually good for the stock market. I I don't agree with that at all. I mean, one of the biggest concerns that I have in this marketplace, and we've seen it, uh, and people have been talking about it for a year now, is the huge amount of leverage in in the market. Margin debt at all-time highs, well above what they were going into the the, the financial crisis uh, a dozen years ago. And the thing is, when you have that much leverage in, in the marketplace, and there's plenty of it in the bond market, when the market starts to sell off, that leverage is unwind. Well, the people take the money. They say, oh, the money people are going to sell those bonds, take the money and buy stocks. And I'm like, actually, what they're going to do is they're going to take the money and pay their margin calls. They're not going to have any proceeds to, uh, to, to buy yeah. stocks with. So we need to be very, very careful about that.
1: Or, or by the way, pay their taxes. You wonder with tax season and all the gains we've had the last few years, if there are some giant tax bills that are coming. Matt, do you think the money is going to continue to flow into energy stocks because uh, energy stocks have been booming? In fact, there's like a 50 or 60 percent outperformance between energy and big cap tech. It's like people sold NVIDIA and bought Hess. I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but you get my point there. But man, it, it's almost like they've come up so far so fast. You wonder how much is left even in energy. Well, I mean that is a concern. On a sh- more on a short-term basis, but you still
5: know, as is as a percentage of you know, the S&P, it's still very, very low. And to a certain degree, in the institutional side of things, uh, the group is not over-owned by any stretch of the imagination. Nowhere near as under-owned as it was a year ago or a year and a half ago. Uh, but so I still think it's got room to, to to go. However, we do need to be careful here. The uh, you know I sent out a note uh, two days ago late in the, in the afternoon saying that uh, Nat Gas has got ridiculously overbought on a short-term basis. It's come down a little bit in the last you know, day and a half. I think it's got further to fall. But I do think uh, – so people need to be careful about chasing these names.
1: But I do think that, yep. uh, you know, they want to climb on wheat just because I think they'll do fine on the longer term. Love your – tech quickly, 20 seconds. Technical analysis. Next key important level on the S&P 500 is – 4,600. If we
5: can break above 4,600, some of my concerns will be pushed to the side. We've been kind of stuck in a sideways range here for the last six or seven trading days. If we can break above 4,600, that's going to be bullish.
1: And we break below uh, the recent lows, uh, that's going to create some problems. Okay, watching both. Matt Maley, love having you on, my friend. Thank you very much. Good stuff. All right, we you got right. a lot to do on this Wednesday morning. When we come back, you're welcome. Apparently there is a first time for everything because now even Warren Buffett is in some shareholder crosshairs as a major pension fund sours on the Oracle of Omaha. Plus, relief finally coming to millions in Shanghai with the government lifts some of its brutal COVID lockdown measures. And later on, much more on Netflix's streaming disaster and why our next guest calls the stock... Dead money, even now. Dow Futures, they're down. We're back right after this.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
1: All right, welcome back. Some good news to report from China this morning. After nearly a month, government officials in Shanghai finally easing some of their brutal COVID-19 lockdown measures. People once again allowed to actually leave their homes. But how much damage has already been done? Eunice Hsu joining us now with more on exactly where we stand. Eunice, how much has been pulled back? How free are the people there?
6: Well, still not very free, but uh, four million people in Shanghai are now being more, four million more people are being allowed to at least leave their homes, even though uh, businesses and shops are still largely closed. Uh, The Shanghai Health Authorities uh, said that there were two districts that have been determined as uh, having zero COVID and uh, that the virus, uh, from their perspective, is under what they've described as effective Control now. This easing comes as the Chinese authorities have been under tremendous pressure, as well as facing plenty of criticism um, about the way that this uh, these lockdowns have been affecting the local economy and supply chains. Uh, Tesla. Uh, confirmed yesterday that its Shanghai factory was back up and running. And what was interesting is that state media has really been promoting and trying to combat the narrative that these lockdowns have been uh, da- uh, dis- you know, uh, stressful uh, for a lot of these companies, saying that the 8,000 workers uh, for Tesla are now living and working on site, that this reboot at the company is reviving production at more than 100 component makers and logistics firms, including in different provinces, and the main point of the official media has been that local officials and governments have been trying to help Tesla, as well as other companies, to revive their business. And um, in nearby Kunshan, um, Brian, which is an area where there's a plenty of Taiwan tech companies, as well as Apple suppliers, a little bit more of a mixed picture, people there are warning that deliveries could be delayed uh, by another month or so.
1: I know there's a bunch of other cities that were in some form of lockdown. Maybe you can give us an update on what you know there. Also, has the pushback against or the gentle pushback, whatever it might be, anything is sort of a big deal in China. Has any pushback against officials quieted down at all?
6: Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting because in our conversations, um, you've asked me plenty of times whether or not there's been pushback from the medical community. And we actually started seeing that in the past couple of days. Uh, there have been some Chinese medical experts who've been criticizing the uh, Chinese government's widespread use of traditional Chinese medicine as a, an antidote. Um, or at least as a treatment for COVID, so TCM has been used a lot at the government quarantine centers. And um, some of the criticism has been that this isn't effective, um, and also against COVID, and also um, that the, um, the the kind of widespread distribution has been uh, gumming up some of the logistics uh, for other things that are much more necessary from these doctors' perspectives, such as food as well as other medical supplies.
1: Yeah, and we got some COVID uh, fatality numbers the other day, Eunice. It was three reported deaths from Shanghai, the youngest of the individuals being 89 with severe reported comorbidities at all. So uh, as tough as it's been, at least right now, the worst of the outcomes seems to have been prevented if there is some upside.
6: Yeah, um, that is if you believe these numbers. Um, the, there has been a lot of criticism and challenging of the numbers, um, in, Domestically, which is really interesting. Obviously, there's been a lot of criticism and questions outside of the country, but but uh, domestically, people have been wondering as to whether or not uh, these numbers are actually correct. But uh, by and large, you know, if if it turns out that there a lot of deaths have been prevented, um, people believe that the lockdowns are effective, but that obviously there's a cost to their livelihood.
1: Well, these are numbers, I I don't believe the numbers either, but but if if they are accurate, these are numbers you'd almost want to believe because maybe it means that China, like us here in many parts of Europe and the world, are sort of learning to live uh, with the endemic stage. Eunice Yoon, we really appreciate the updates. Critical story on so many levels. Eunice, thank you. Be well. Have a great day. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the morning. Stock number one, is Berkshire Hathaway Calpers, which is the biggest pension fund in America, says it will vote for a shareholder proposal to replace Warren Buffett as Berkshire's chairman. Wow! The National Legal and Policy Center says the roles of chairman and CEO are quote greatly diminished when one person holds both. Calpers owns more than two billion worth of Berkshire stock. Berkshire has said someone outside management should be chairman after Buffett is no longer in charge, but he. Should remain chairman and CEO, at least for now. Stock number two is IBM. Revenue rising 8% in the first quarter. That top most forecast. Sales being driven by Big Blue's cloud business. Company says the customers are spending more on digital investments in automation, AI, and cybersecurity. Stock number three is Meta. Financial Times says Facebook's plan to let users in Brazil send money to businesses through WhatsApp has hit several snags. That includes clashes with potential payment. Partners, Meta down fractionally. All right, still on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, a big fight brewing at the Magic Kingdom. By Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has a bone to pick with Disney and its special tax treatment. That's ahead.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
8: Good morning. I'm Francis Rivera with your NBC News headlines. The Department of Justice says it may appeal a Florida judge's decision to lift the federal mask mandate if the CDC says it's still needed to protect public health. However, the DOJ will not ask for a stay of the decision, meaning that most Americans can continue to travel maskless while the CDC considers their options. Arizona's tunnel fire has exploded since it first began Sunday, now burning more than 6,000 acres. The blaze, which is 14 miles northeast of Flagstaff, has prompted a state of emergency in Coconino County. According to a county official, an estimated 766 households in the area were under evacuation orders. The Coconino County Sheriff said at least two dozen structures have been lost so far and more than 250 are threatened. Today is the dopiest day of the year. Hey, it's 420 if you haven't noticed. An unofficial holiday to celebrate all things marijuana. Tonight at midnight, legal weed sales in New Jersey are set to begin. Anyone 21 and over can purchase cannabis and related products for recreational use. Those are your news headlines. I'm Francis Rivera. Worldwide Exchange is back after the break.
1: A big net flunk for Netflix. Shares of the streamer are down more than 25% as subscribers bailed on the company. But is the stock now on sale and worth your money? Joel Kalina is here. Thanks, but no thanks. Elon Musk pushed to lock up the money to fake take Twitter private, facing new hurdles as several private equity firms reportedly pass on the opportunity to back it. And your morning RBI on a CEO you may not know, but... One who could have the biggest corporate paydays of all time. You've got more than 800 million reasons to stick around and watch WEX on this Wednesday, April 20th, right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Wednesday morning, just about 5.30. The weather a little bit better, sort of mid to high 40s here in the East Coast, but at least it's not a monsoon like yesterday. All right, here's how the markets and your money look right now. Stock futures not a monsoon but certainly not bright and sunny either as well dow futures just turned a little bit positive but all eyes really are on nasdaq futures that's kind of more emblematic of the market nasdaq futures down just a touch about one-tenth of one percent but it doesn't look like that follow-through rally at least right now will continue it's early things could change of course yesterday buyers came in on mass late in the afternoon small caps mid-cap peter brady bobby brady greg brady they all rose small medium large Every cap stock rose yesterday about 2% was a nice little relief rally for equities. In bonds, they keep selling as the 10-year yield continues its March higher, getting closer and closer to 3%, rising again on Tuesday. No doubt mortgage rates also, by the way, are going to spike even higher soon. The 10-year yield above 2.9% right now. Well, you've got a stock alert to tell you about. Yesterday, Cantor Fitzgerald put out a special trade recommendation on Pinterest, at least their options. They're advising clients to buy upside call options on the e-commerce stock. The traders at Cantor noting a few things of interest on Pinterest. First, there's been increased call activity the last few days, meaning people are likely betting the stock is going higher. That includes a big options buyer who stepped in on Monday. Also, Cantor notes that Pinterest has been rumored, long-time rumor by the way, to have considered a $45 billion bid from PayPal in October of last year, but balked. If true, might have been a bad move. A company is now worth less than $15 billion. Now, I want to be clear. We are not saying those rumors are true. But Cantor Fitzgerald put them out and noted them in a note on Tuesday. So if it's good enough for them to mention to clients, it is good enough for us to mention to you. Either way, upside call trade recommendation from Cantor on Pinterest. We are watching that stock with interest. All right, now to some of this morning's top corporate stories, which of course includes Twitter, because Elon Musk bid to find backers for his buyout bid reportedly becoming more difficult. According to Bloomberg, private equity firms, including Blackstone and Vista Equity Partners, have ruled out financing that effort. The report also adds that Brookfield Asset Management has said it is not interested in taking on backstopping that $43 billion offer. Elsewhere, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is asking lawmakers there to consider stripping Disney World of its self-governing rules and its tax privileges. Resort has held those for more than 50 years. That status allows the company to operate as an independent government around its Orlando area theme parks, exempting it from nearly all state regulations. The move is the latest in DeSantis' months-long feud with Disney. And Bank of America CEO says he is banking on the American consumer despite inflation. Speaking with Jim last night, Brian Moynihan says spending is healthier despite higher prices. People say, well, it's due to inflation, but gasoline expenditures are about 5% of 21% of what people spend in a, a Bank of America. So that's a trillion dollars almost in the quarter, grown at 13%. The consumers are out there spending. Moynihan adding to Jim that spending is up thanks to consumers' loan balances being lower, along with an increase in borrowing capacity. All right, let's get more right now, though, on Netflix. It is your story of the day, maybe of the year. From a stock perspective, shares are down 25%. They are set to wipe out about $35 billion in market value. And by the way, also wipe out about three years of stock gains for the company. Here are some of the big takeaways from what can only be called a terrible quarter. Number one... The streamer posted its first subscriber loss since 2011. It is down 200,000 in just 90 days. Even worse, Netflix expects to lose another 2 million in the current quarter. Number two, as of yesterday afternoon, no analyst covering the stock was forecasting a user contraction. Even though this is the seventh time in eight quarters, a Netflix subscriber growth forecast has undershot Wall Street's expectations. Co-CEO Reed Hastings also says the company is weighing a lower-priced ad-supported membership product to help boost that subscriber count, but it would be a couple of years off. And three, Netflix is trying to crack down on account sharing, saying some 100 million households are sharing their passwords with 30 million in the U.S. and Canada alone. But as Netflix shares drop, does its value proposition grow? Joining us now is Wedbush Head of Tech telecom and media trading. Joel Kalina, Joel, no doubt you and your colleagues are going to have a very, very busy day. Did anybody see this coming?
4: I mean, I think so. I mean, I think if you, you know, you know Netflix fits square into that, that bucket, right? One of the, the biggest winners uh, of, uh, you know, COVID and, and and the fact that COVID simply <laughs> turbocharged growth for a large portion of tech. And, and if you look across the board, the 2020 kind of pandemic winners and the story stocks, you know, it's been a disaster now, and the and the and the headwinds have been brewing now for several quarters. Whether it's you know Netflix, uh, Peloton, Zoom, DocuSign, some of the e-commerce names as well. I think management's are truly realizing that they were able to kind of overearn, you know, not just in 2020 but also in 2021, and now kind of as stimulus is being unwound and multiples are kind of compressing, you know, rapidly to the downside. Uh, you know, they're, they're facing just unprecedented headwinds. And that's kind of been one of the, you know, random kind of consequences of, of COVID overall, just kind of a, just uncertain yeah. environment. And I think uh, the, the, the print from Netflix last night sort of is a poster child for the uncertainty moving forward for a lot of these companies, in my opinion. Um, you know, Netflix is trying to find some support here around 260. But I think a lot of these stocks are still dead money until you see a stabilization of fundamentals.
1: Okay, yeah, I want to do more on that. And guys, if we could throw up a five-year chart of Netflix, I'd appreciate it because I know the attention today is going to be on Netflix's reaction today. We're down 27% right now. That's going to be the big screaming headline. But on October 31st, Joel, Netflix, thank you, Netflix was a $690 stock. So the 26% drop right now is extreme. It is dramatic. But we have now lost 63 percent of market value in what four and a half months. Yeah. Where's the floor here?
4: Yeah, I mean, if, if you look, at, I mean, if you're, you're looking at the chart, you know, like I said, it, it held. Two, Netflix held 260 back in uh, I think December 2018. Held that 260 level again in in the fall of 2019. Is trading below there as we speak. <clears throat> um, you look at this chart. It, there's no reason why why to think that it can not just drift slowly down to $200. Like I just don't see real institutional money stepping into this story right now, only because like, I think last night, you look at the letter from Hastings, it's probably one of the most, you know, grim readings we've gotten from him in quite some time. You know, just rewind three years. He was talking about Fortnite being his number one competition. And now he mentioned Hulu, HBO, Disney across the board. You mentioned kind of they're, they're contemplating some sort of ad supported plan as well. And I think that strategy shift, really kind of just, uh, it, it, it lays yeah. out that they're, they're facing unprecedented challenges uh, from what they've kind of experienced over the past decade plus.
1: But you wonder, Joel, and I'm not going to ask you to dive into the world of media, but you look at the well-publicized struggles with CNN Plus right now, all kinds of reports the last couple of weeks about, about its struggles. It is so easy for people to sign up for something, pay $6.99 or maybe get a month or a week free, watch what they want, cancel it, and then move on to the next thing. Uh, you, I'm not going to ask you to comment on like the media in general, Joel, but you look at any company with a streaming model, and by the way, maybe that includes us as well, and you got to wonder, is this sort of foretelling more difficulties for any public company, right, you look at a discovery or whoever it might be, that has this kind of product? Do you have a macro thought on that generally?
4: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, and 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 the key is, especially with younger generations. I'm getting up there, but younger generations, people are going to become consumers become a lot more savvy and just kind of. Uh, I'm sure there's already apps already being developed that are not already you know out there that are going to be able to help you kind of move from one service to another. Whether it's you know two months on Netflix, then you go to Disney, maybe you sign up Paramount Plus, you go over to Warner Warner Discovery. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for a lot of these streaming services is that churn level is going to continue to rise and probably stay elevated and that uncertainty is just going to limit the upside to, to the multiple moving forward um, and i think that's obviously just more of a result of a, of a tech savvy you know younger generation people growing up with smartphones having the ability yeah. to jump on service right you don't you don't need to call you know a customer service number and, and and put on hold for 30 40 minutes you can do it with a couple of clicks and uh, and I think that's what you're seeing right now in the streaming world. You know, obviously Netflix is <laughs> down twenty-six percent, but all the other names, Roku, Warner, Paramount, down four to six percent in the pre as well. Like I think it's it's becoming a little bit more difficult to justify the amount of money these these media companies are spending to drive their to support their 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 streaming platforms. And and again, the 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 outlook's all a little bit gonna be a little bit more muddier than it was a couple of yeah. years ago
1: we can lose money on every subscriber, but make it up in volume. I mean, your point on, on being able to cancel is well noted. So just to get back to the stock, Joel, we don't hold here. I know we're below 260, that level. We're at 255 or whatever. We don't hold today. You think 200 could be one of the next key levels to watch? I mean, that's grim.
4: Yeah, and and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm in that camp. I've kind of, thankfully, I'm staying negative on, on these 2020 story stocks. And and I think COVID's that big of an impact where, it, it, like I said earlier, it turbocharged growth for many pockets of tech, and now you're seeing all those tailwinds just completely reverse. And it's been the case since Powell kind of shifted his messages messaging in late November, early December. But again, keep an eye on earnings in the coming weeks from some Zoom, DocuSign, Etsy, and, it, and I think it's going to be pretty. Yeah, sure. There's better parts of the market to be in, in my opinion.
1: Netflix has been a big wake up call. I think. I mean, what a shocking number down 27 percent right now, Joel. They got a busy day. We'll let you get to it. We really appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you.
4: Thanks for having me. Take care. All
1: right. Three years of gains. Oh, you're very welcome. Three years of gains wiped out. All right. Coming up, it's the other Elon news outside of his Twitter bid. Tesla results. They're on tap. What to expect out of those numbers and what it all could mean for Musk's push to take the company private. That is Twitter, of course. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Stick around. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk Tesla. The results out after the close today. Now, it's really been kind of a mix of good and bad news for the company as of late. Tesla reported record deliveries. They cut the ribbon on two new gigafactories in Germany and Austin, Texas. But Tesla's biggest factory in Shanghai is just restarting production. That, according to reports, after nearly three-week COVID lockdown in the city, There's also the uh, little matter of Elon Musk's pursuit of Twitter and whether he'll use some of his Tesla shares to fund a deal. Let's talk about all this with Tim Higgins, reporter at The Wall Street Journal and a CBC contributor. Tim, it's great to have you back on. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> when you write the story tonight, what are you going to be most focused on? What do you think the headline at 7 p.m. tonight will be?
7: Well, one of the things I think investors really want to know is how does Elon Musk see a world where he has Twitter in his portfolio? He, in the past, we have talk about how he would Try to spend most of his time with SpaceX and Tesla, dividing his time, maybe giving one a little bit more love when needed. And then the rest of that time, what limited amount of time left was for all of his other ventures. Well, if he's got Twitter in the mix, what's the deal? You know, how many hours a week is he going to put there? And what kind of distraction will that be uh, at a company where Tesla already admits that he's not full time and that he is a key employee for their future?
1: Yeah, Shanghai. Let's talk about that. Uh, Shanghai, thankfully, is lifting some of its extreme COVID lockdown measures, according to Eunice Yun, her report earlier in the show. Not sure if you saw that. Of course, they could always reverse that and lock back down again. How big of a hit do you think that Shanghai problem is going to be?
7: Well, I think this is the second big thing we'll be looking for tonight. Tesla is a growth story, Uh, you know, they lost several days of production, maybe 90,000 units of capacity during the second quarter, investors are going to want to know what the impact is going to be for this period, and and what kind of uh, capacity they're going to have going forward, because you have to remember, Shanghai has also been providing uh, vehicles for other markets outside of China as well. So this has a global ramifications for Tesla's uh, supply chain and for its customers in Europe and other places.
1: Yeah, you know, Shanghai could be just a temporary blip. Investors are going to be looking out much longer term. And when I look out longer term, I think of comments that the Rivian CEO just made about there's an extreme shortage of battery production for EVs, lots of concern about all the raw materials, not only the availability, Tim, but the price. Nickel, cobalt, lithium, nickel, whatever you want to say that goes into an EV battery, the price has doubled or probably tripled this year. So far, Tesla has done an amazing job of avoiding supply chain problems. Can they continue that?
7: You're right. You're hitting something that they have been out in the forefront of this for the industry, but still they they are not. You know They are in the industry. and This is going to be a challenge for them, especially next year, if Elon uh, Musk is correct in the kind of growth projections that he has out there of this more than 50 percent growth year after year. And so locking down battery cells is the key for Tesla. It is the key for any company that wants to have mass quantities of electric cars out there, which is part of the reason why Tesla has been so aggressive in the last few years in building up its cell uh, pack. Uh, manufacturing capability and also trying to get out there and get, uh, you know, deals with in, in the in the uh, supply chain for those uh, commodities.
1: Twitter a problem? That bid a distraction to investors you've talked to who seem to care, Tim?
7: It, clearly, it, it's a distraction. Uh, the, the question is how big of a distraction and how long of a distraction will be. Uh, the thing is, when you buy into Elon Musk, uh, there is some uh, pluses and minuses. You're getting all of the excitement of all the ventures he's doing, whether it's SpaceX, it's brain computers, it's the boring company. But really, if you're an investor in Tesla, you, you're just in Tesla, right? So you might get all of that glitz and glam around him but you need tesla to perform this is a period of great uh you know potential for the company but it all comes down to execution and tesla has a a history of struggling with execution so that's why investors are really going to be wanting to know about the ramp up of that germany factory the ramp up of that new texas factory to make sure they can get the production that elon's been promising
1: yeah Tim Higgins, Wall Street Journal and CNBC contributor. Great stuff. Got a long day. We'll look forward to reading your take tonight, Tim. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right. As we head to break, a reminder that April is financial literacy month. Here's the mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, with how financial education can help protect you from inflation.
7: Financial literacy means to me safety, security, security enjoyment. It's very important for people to feel that they're in control of their environment and they're able to pay their bills and you can get there with steep knowledge and being financially literate.
1: Time now for your morning RBI and this most random but interesting thing is some big numbers, specifically big numbers around pay. And one specific payday, are you sitting down or shut the treadmill off? Because if you're not, you might want to. The Wall Street Journal reports the CEO of Trade Desk, that's a publicly traded ad tech firm based in Los Angeles, was awarded what could be the mother of all paydays. Jeff Green was granted a pay package that could be worth more than $800 million. I got to put the pinky to the side of the mouth and billions more in stock. That would make him one of the highest paid CEOs in the world, ever. All in a company that many of you, most of you maybe, have probably never heard of. Its market cap is only $32 billion. Now, to be fair, this payday is based on a lot of targets that could be hard to reach. Very hard. Maybe impossible. And it would vest in eight different batches based on the stock going up a lot in the next few years. For example, he's got options that vested at a stock price of 90 bucks for 30 days according to the company's annual proxy statement. It hit that before falling back. Other options would be granted if Trade Desk shares hit $115 a share, then $340 a share. That's according to Verity data cited by the Wall Street Journal. Now, if the stock did that, it would make Trade Desk worth more than $100 billion in market value. So Mr. Green is being paid heavily to hit some really heavy targets, targets which may never get hit, which means he may never get those options or shares, but... With all the political pushback on executive pay and wealth inequality in America right now, you kind of got to give it to Trade Desk. They're the honey badger of executive compensation. They don't give up. A- and we're going to be watching that stock price and the big fortunes of that CEO. Random, but interesting and lucrative. All right, now back to the macro markets. And Let's bring in one of our favorite guests, Victoria Green, chief investment officer of G Squared Private Wealth Management and someone Who was banging the drum on energy names when literally, Victoria, it was like, you couldn't have given away an oil and gas stock. The industry was dead forever. No money. Forget about it. As we would say in New Jersey, you were there a year and a half ago. You were recommending Chevron and others that have like doubled in value. Are you still hanging on to some of these oil and gas names?
9: Absolutely, Brian. It's not drill baby drill anymore. It's cash baby cash. I mean, they're, they're being very shareholder yeah. friendly right now. You're not seeing a ton of growth in CapEx. I know the market's super tight. You're not getting a lot of help from OPEC. You've got all these crises around the world. It's certainly a spot. I understand that that stocks have gone up, but they're producing so much money and free cash flow. Honestly, valuations are still extremely reasonable in the energy sector. So it's not like you're trading at these 30, 50 PEs you see some of the tech companies trading at. You still have a lot of oil and gas and these EMP names that I like trading at anywhere from 11 to 14 times earnings because their earnings keep growing.
1: What else keeps growing are these stocks. And you do wonder, Victoria, how much of this is people that maybe mutual fund, not yourself, obviously, mutual fund managers, <laughs> even some marginal ESG investors are now finding ways to be like, well, they're doing carbon capture. So maybe it's kind of a sub, you know, ESG play because of this. that, And the other thing, you know, when stocks go up, fund managers tend to sort of stampede in so they can show their clients at the end of the quarter. Hey, don't worry. We owned it, we owned Chevron when last year they said they wouldn't touch it.
9: Oh, gosh, yes. And, and it's, ESG is such a, a slippery slope. There's so many funds that it became this buzzword. So people started loading up on ESG funds that really didn't have a great methodology. And look, right now, and for the foreseeable future, oil and gas is a necessity. And, and it's like you have to choose from some or eagles. Are you choosing potentially climate change or are you choosing yeah. to deal with, with Russia? And you have not great choices across the market. So, yeah, I do think you're seeing people jump in. It's still really underweighted in the S&P 500. It's so low. It's only about 4% of the index. And so anybody that's got an overweight to the sector and we feel oil is going to el- stay elevated. It-, it should help their returns. It- it's a great place to be during an inflationary environment. And, and I think we're all beyond transitory and in inflation, Brian.
1: Yeah, very quickly, a favorite you like right now the most one stock.
9: Absolutely. Devin, they're killing it. They're only about 20% hedged. They're giving all their their cash back to the shareholders with variable dividends. Awesome balance sheet, great land. They get it out of the ground and and cover their dividend at about $40. So right now we're expecting huge cash generation for them. Look at EOG maybe and and Pioneer and, and, and Diamondback. It's a great place to be.
1: The original fang, Victoria Green, right on the money over a year ago. We appreciate it. Hope people listen to you, Victoria. Have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, folks, thank you very much for tuning in here on Worldwide Exchange. And by the way, I will see you all, all of you out there and some people not yet awake at 11 a.m. Eastern time today. I'm going to be hosting Tech Check. I'm going to get my tech on. I'm diving more to the Netflix takedown. Hey, we've, we've seen Stranger Things. I'll see you again in five hours. Squawk is next.